Across almost every area of life, there are times where it's okay to zone out and stop paying attention. We're limited creatures and we have limited capacity for focus, and so sometimes we just zone out. But there are also times in life where it's super important for us to be as attentive as possible. Now, in a perfect world, we would all be focused on everything all the time, but we all know that that's not realistic. And so eventually we learn the art of picking our ideal windows to zone out. In school, when you hear your teacher or professor say something like, this is going to be on the test, we've learned that that, that, that is a cue that we should be paying attention because that information is important. In relationships, when we hear our partner say, are you even listening to me? We've learned that that means it's too late for us. We're already in trouble. We should have been paying attention and we weren't. In sermons, there's absolutely nowhere where it's okay for you to zone out. Every word, every thought that we share is so important, including our jokes and our silly little anecdotes. What about, though, in driving? Have you ever zoned out while driving? This one is particularly scary because oftentimes we don't realize we've zoned out until after we've already zoned out. And so there's something a little unsettling about realizing that you've been operating a several thousand pound piece of machinery while traveling at high speeds, but having no recollection of doing so, that's a little scary. It's a little uh, even extra scary when we realize that this phenomenon happens in other vehicles that we have no control over all the time. We're just traveling about our day with people zoned out next to us. Now, like we said, we're limited creatures, so zoning out happens, but there's certain parts of driving where paying attention is incredibly important. One of those is at an intersection. Think about it. The, the consequences of not focusing at an intersection are catastrophic. Another time to pay extra attention while driving is during times of redirect. It happens to all of us. We, we miss our turn or maybe we zone out and get lost a little bit and we need to redirect, take a U-turn and get back on track. But if we don't focus during that moment, we're never going to get back to where we need to be. And a third point where we should pay special, special attention is at a rest stop. When you stop and take a break from driving, it's a good idea to check your tires, how are they looking, check your car's fuel levels, check your own fuel levels to make sure that you have the energy and everything that you need in order to continue and ultimately finish your journey. And now you're all really smart people tuning in today. And so I'm sure you figured out that these things are all true about driving, but I'm not only talking about driving. See, we've been in a series for the last few weeks called My Will, Thy Will, and talking about God's will and our will and what to do when the two intersect. And so today, what I want to do is I want to try and work through and figure out an answer to this question. When is God most likely to speak to us? Or to put it another way, when do we need to most pay attention? And I think if we think through those three times in driving, but in the context of following Jesus, we can arrive at a bit of an answer. And so first, one of the times that we need to pay most attention to the voice of God is at intersections in our lives, at places where we are choosing a direction for our life. And now life intersections, a lot of them happen in the first half of life, in early adulthood. These are intersections like choosing where you're going to go to school after you graduate high school or if you're going to continue your education. 
This looks like choosing who you're going to marry or if you're going to get married at all. This looks like figuring out how many kids you want to have, if you want to have kids at all, if you want to adopt kids. This looks like intersections like choosing where you're going to work, where you're going to live, and decisions like that. But life intersections also happen later on in life. Intersections like choosing if you're going to make a big career change after you've already gone down one path of a career for a while. Decisions like deciding to move to a different state or across the country. Intersections like the process of finding the right church to be a part of. Intersections like choosing where you will retire or what you want done with all your stuff when you're gone. And what we find is that in these intersections, God often speaks his will clearly and offers us guidance on what his will for our life is. And then a second time that we need to pay attention is during times of redirection. Redirection are times where we started down a wrong road through choices that we've made, and we need to make a U-turn to get back on track. Maybe this looks like you've been cutting corners at work and you realize that you need to come clean and change course. Maybe this looks like the realization that you've allowed a relationship with someone who's not your spouse to go farther than it ever should have, and you need to cut that relationship off, get back on track, and make things right. Maybe this looks like we've developed a habit of being too harsh with our kids and trying to control them with our anger rather than correcting them with our love, and we need to make that situation right. And it's in these moments of redirection where God will often speak to us and lovingly correct us and show us how we are falling short for his best for us. And then another place that we need to pay attention to the voice of God is at rest stops. Rest stops are times in our life where we are forced to slow down because we are going through great worry or loss. This could look like losing a close friend or a loved one and just that that pain in our life and not being sure how we can move forward in our life without them. Maybe for you this looks like a dream that you've carried in your heart for years is finally and officially dead and it feels like a part of you died with it. Sometimes this could look like a diagnosis for yourself or someone that you're very close to that has just completely interrupted the trajectory that your life was on and you're not sure what life will look like going forward. And oftentimes it's at these rest stops that God comforts us and reminds us that his plan for us is still good and that he has not forgotten us. And so today what I wanna do is look at three events in the life of one of the heroes of scripture and see what lessons we can learn from their experience in these focused times of listening to God's voice and how we can begin to listen for God's voice when we find ourselves in those times in our own lives. And so we're going to be all over the place in Scripture, looking at three events in the life of Moses. So if you have your Bible, you can jump around with us, but we're going to start with maybe the most most famous experience Moses ever had, which was at the burning bush that we find in Exodus chapters 3 and 4. Now, prior to this point, Moses had been living in a palace. When he was a baby, there was an edict to kill a bunch of babies. And so his mom actually hid him in a river. And in a great irony, Moses ended up being brought into the royal palace. So after a shaky start, Moses ends up having a pretty easy life growing up in the royal family until 
one day he gets older and he witnesses an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And Moses loses his temper. He murders the Egyptian. And that leads him to have to flee to the desert as a fugitive. And so when we find Moses at the beginning of this passage, he's laying low, he's hiding out, and he's working as a shepherd. And those conditions are what lead him to see this bush that burns but doesn't burn up. And so we're mostly familiar with this story. God speaks to Moses through the bush, and he sets before Moses the plan that he has for his life. But Moses understandably freaks out that a bush is speaking to him. And then he freaks out a bit more when he realizes that it's actually God speaking to him. And then he freaks out even more when he realizes what it is that God is asking him to do. And so Moses drags his feet. He comes up with a bunch of excuses. But ultimately, he goes on to obey God and is set on one of the most consequential discipleship journeys in history. And so that's the zoomed out version of that story. But let's zoom in on three details we see here and talk about how they can help us to pay attention for God's voice in seasons of our life where we are at an intersection and are choosing a direction for our lives. And the first lesson is that just because you may have some baggage in your past doesn't mean God can't use your future. See, Moses straight up murdered a guy and then spent 40 years in the desert as a homicidal fugitive hiding out from that action. And yet God sought him out and chose him for an important purpose. See, so many times you and I get this idea in our head, I think, that goes a lot like this. If you just knew the things that I'd done, you would know that God couldn't use me. And yet what we see is that God uses Moses, a guy who had done murder. What we see throughout scripture over and over again is that God finds imperfect people and he speaks to them and he transforms them and he uses them for his purpose despite their past. And the reason we see this happen in the Bible and the reason that I believe this still happens today is because your past does not and cannot cancel out God's future. The second lesson that we can learn here is that to hear God's voice at times of intersection, we have to slow down enough to look. In verse three, it shows us Moses actually talking to himself. And he says, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. But the even more fascinating thing to me is God's response. In verse four, it says that when the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to look, God called to him. See, at this time in his life, Moses was a lot like the rest of us. He was just trying to live his life, just trying to do his job. He had his sheep that he had to care for. He had places to go. He had his father-in-law who was counting on him. He had responsibilities. And yet he was able to be unhurried enough to the point that he could be interrupted. He was slowed down enough to notice the activity of God. And he was aware enough to notice that there was something going on out of the ordinary. But then he was also courageous enough to enter into that mystery. And because of all of that, God called out to him. And so could it be that God actually does want to reveal his will for your life to you? Could it be that God wants to share the plans that he has for your life? He wants to communicate that to you, but he's just waiting for you to slow down enough to turn aside and look. Could it be that God is waiting for you to slow down enough to hear him? And then a third thing for us to notice is that God speaks 
at the intersection of our ability and others' need. In verse 7, God tells Moses that he has surely seen the affliction of the Israelites. And this is God we're talking about. He could have just spoken in that moment and said, all right, Israelites, you are free. He could have gone directly to Pharaoh himself and done all the plagues and spoke to Pharaoh and set the Israelites free that way. But God didn't do that. He did something completely different. He did something that he continues to do throughout the pages of scripture and something that he continues to do today. God sent a person. See, in response to the injustice in Egypt, God sent Moses. In in response to the brokenness and sin in the world, God sent Jesus. And so could it be that in response to the brokenness and injustice that we see in our world today, God wants to send you? Could it be that when we ask the question, what is God's will for my life? Could it be that the answer is simply for you to enter into whatever problem you see, whatever injustice you're passionate about? Could it be that God's answer to that problem is you, for you to step in and be the solution to that injustice? Could God's will for your life simply be to use your ability to meet someone else's need? And so God speaks to us in life intersections. The next place that God frequently communicates his will is in situations of redirect. For Moses, the moment of redirect shows up in an interesting story that we read about in Numbers chapter 20. But years before this specific event, we see a parallel story. See, the Israelites had run out of water, and so they end up complaining to Moses about that problem. And then Moses took those complaints and shared them with God. And in response to that, God told Moses to strike a rock and water would come gushing out. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. But time went on and the same thing happens again in a new place. The Israelites again run out of water. It's a pretty common thing in a desert. And then they complain to Moses. And then Moses takes those complaints to God. But this time, God tells Moses to speak to the rock and that water will again come out of the rock. But Moses chooses to not follow God's instructions. He lets out his frustrations on the Israelites, and this time he again strikes the rock rather than speaking to it. And God still provides the needed water for the people, but Moses must now pay a heavy price for his disobedience. He will die in the desert and not be able to enter the promised land. And so what can we learn from the failure of one of the most heroic figures in all of Scripture? What lessons are there here for our own times of redirect, our own times when God convicts us of sin? The first is that we should never do in our own strength what God wants us to do in his. See, at first glance, this all seems pretty unfair. I mean, Moses didn't really say anything about the Israelites that was untrue. And God had asked Moses to strike the rock before. So maybe in his frustration, Moses just got confused. But I think that there's something deeper happening. See, by striking the rock instead of speaking to it, Moses was putting himself in the place of God. And that sounds bad, right? Like that's a bad idea to put yourself in God's place. But how often in our lives do we do the exact same thing without realizing it? How often do we white knuckle our way through life and convince ourselves that we just need to work harder, to be better, when the whole time God is longing for us to simply trust in his power on our behalf? How often do we have this impulse to do things on our own, to work hard for that promotion rather than to trust God 
for his provision. To trust our own philosophy of parenting rather than doing it God's way. See, it comes so naturally for us in so many different ways to put ourselves in the place of God rather than to put ourselves fully in a life of complete and radical trust in him. But God invites us to redirect from our own ability and strength and enter into reliance and submission to him. A second lesson for us here is that we should never underestimate how important obedience is. See, up to this point, Moses had always done exactly what God had told him. I mean, sure, he dragged his feet at the burning bush, but after years of seeing God's miraculous works and reliable provision, Moses had become an expert in obedience. But in this passage, you can almost see where that switch takes place. You can almost sense where the two paths diverge in Moses' mind. Speak to the rock as God had said, or take matters into his own hands, and tell these unruly whiners what's really on his mind. And in that split second, Moses chose disobedience. And that's how long it takes, isn't it? We see the right thing, we see the wrong thing, and in a split second, we make our choice. And the tragedy of Moses is that it was just one mistake. All those miracles he had gone through, all the obedience that he had done, everything that he had worked for for decades was wiped away in a moment of disobedience. And the hard truth for us to learn from this is that that's how important obedience is. A split-second choice to disobey can cancel out years of faithfulness. A compromise in a moment can ruin years of commitment. But the great thing about obedience is that we can still choose it at any moment. Even after we have made the wrong choice, even after we have disobeyed, there is still an invitation for us to come back, to obey this time, to turn around, and to get on the right track now. A third lesson in redirection for us is that we should never forget that God speaks to us even in the consequences we must face for our failures. See, it's hard not to feel for Moses. All those years leading the Israelites, he saw firsthand what their failure to trust God had cost them. They would die in the desert without entering the promised land. And the great irony is that the exact same mistake in Moses' life would lead to the exact same consequence for him. And yet, even in that consequence, God still spoke to Moses. See, about a year after this moment of disobedience, just before the Israelites are finally about to enter the promised land, God spoke to Moses and allowed him to be part of the process of finding the leader to replace himself and lead the people across the finish line into the promised land. But possibly even more meaningful is the fact that God allowed Moses to go up a mountain one last time, as he had so many times before, and to look out upon the thing that he had been working for, the thing that God had promised all the way back at the burning bush. See, Moses still had to live out his consequence. He still died outside the promised land, but he died gazing upon the thing that God had led him to. See, God doesn't just punish us for fun or because he enjoys it. Most of the time, God simply allows us to experience the natural consequences of our own disobedience. But those consequences themselves are designed to lead us to become the people that God wants us to be. We experience shame and guilt from our mistakes, 
not for shame and guilt of themselves, but so that we can grow and learn past those mistakes that caused us that shame and guilt in the first place. And so every consequence that we face is actually an invitation from God to come back, to turn around and enter back into his good plan for our life. And the last event in Moses's life that I wanna look at took place earlier on in his journey and we find it in Exodus chapter 32 and 33. See, after the burning bush, after all the plagues and going through the Red Sea and escaping Egypt, Moses and the Israelites camped out at Mount Sinai. And God told Moses to come up that mountain and that is where God laid out the law and the covenant. And so Moses has all of that. He comes down to the people. They agree to the terms of the covenant and then Moses goes back up the mountain for 40 days. But that was apparently too much, too long of a period of time for the Israelites who immediately broke the covenant that they had just agreed to by making idols and worshiping false gods. And so while Moses is up there with God, God gets really angry and makes some threats, which Moses talks him down from, which is very interesting. And then Moses comes down from the mountain and gets angry himself, dealing with it like any you know, reasonable person would by grinding down the gold statue that they had made into powder and then making the people drink water with that gold powder in it. Very reasonable. But after this whole event, which was possibly the most frustrating and trying time of all of Moses's leadership, we see something interesting. In chapter 33, verse 11, we get a beautiful summary of Moses and God's relationship. It tells us that God would speak to Moses face-to-face the way someone would speak to a friend. But if that wasn't enough, God, uh, Moses goes on to ask God to show him his glory. And God casually informs Moses that he's not going to do that because if he did, Moses would die. Uh, but God does agree to let his goodness pass in front of Moses. And so what lesson is there for us in this story about finding comfort in our pain? And the first is that God can sympathize with what you are feeling because he also experiences emotion. See, reading and talking about God as having emotion might make you feel a little uncomfortable, and that's okay. I totally get it. It can feel as if we're saying that God might be less God for having feelings. And yet, all throughout scripture, what we see is time and time again, God experiences heartbreak, pain, sadness, anger, regret, but also joy and love and compassion, you name it. And so we see in this passage that God gets angry and God gets hurt because of his deep sense of betrayal at the Israelites' breaking of the covenant. And I don't know about you, but in the midst of my pain, I find it incredibly comforting to remember that the creator of the universe also experiences pain. See, if God, the one who has always existed, the one through whom all things exist, if he is able to fully enter into his experience of pain, then surely he is able to comfort us in ours. A second thing for us to learn from Moses' experience here is that in order for us to journey out of our pain, we actually first must journey into our pain with our community. See, I've always found this episode here between Moses and God really strange, just something about Moses calming God down from his anger and then Moses immediately getting angry after standing calmly between God and the people. Something about that I've always found odd. 
But what I think we're actually witnessing here is both of their journeys into pain. God is genuinely hurt at the lack of faithfulness and betrayal demonstrated so quickly and easily from the Israelites. And his pain is expressed as anger. But even more amazing is that he allows Moses to be part of his processing of all of those emotions. And then we see Moses go down and experience his pain at the community going awry so easily, maybe with even some own personal responsibility and guilt mixed in there for his leadership. But on the other side of Moses's process, what we see is a group of people with a deeper commitment to the Lord. And so what if we followed that lead? What if instead of ignoring or hiding or downplaying our pain, we found a friend or a group of friends or our small group or a church community or people that we trust to journey into that pain together? I know it's a terrifying thought because we all have things that we've gone through that we carry alone whether we're carrying that ourselves out of fear that others will minimize that pain or our fear that they won't fully understand it or we're worried that they will judge us for it or that they ultimately won't be able to help us with it or any other of the million excuses that we come up with to avoid dealing with our pain. But what if the method that God wants to use to truly heal you from that pain is through the sharing of that pain in the safety of community. A third lesson that we can learn is that in the face of great heartbreak, God will give us all of his goodness that we can handle. See, have you ever thought about the fact that there is more goodness in God than we can physically deal with? Moses asked God if he could see his face, but doing so would be so much that it would overwhelm him, that it would literally kill him. And so even the time that Moses did spend face-to-face speaking with God as one does a friend was with limited visibility, was in parts, was in symbols, was in pillars of cloud and pillars of fire. But even in that limitation, it still caused Moses' face to radiate. And so this God who has more goodness than we can physically contain is the same God who promises in Psalm 34, 18 to be close to the brokenhearted. When we're going through deep pain, when our hearts are broken, we can approach the God who has more goodness than we can actually even deal with. See, I don't know specifically what you're going through today, but I know that I have experienced things that have caused me to simply feel buried underneath the weight of all of the pain. But for all the pain that I have ever felt, there is even more goodness in God. For all the sorrow that you could ever experience, I believe there is even deeper joy in Jesus. And in the midst of our heartbreak, in the midst of all of that pain, God will give us as much of his goodness as we can handle. And so to close, I want to give you one word for each of these three times that we have looked at where God is likely to speak to us. We learned a lot of lessons. We looked at these events and what they could mean for us. And so to help us carry that with us, I want to give us one word summary of each of us to help us enter into and hear God's voice in these times. And so first, in seasons of intersection, the challenge for us is to seek. In Moses' season of being on the run, he wasn't exactly seeking God, but in those long, quiet days surrounded only by sheep 
and dirt. He had plenty of time to wonder and pray about what would be next in his life. But it's even more important that in that season, what Moses did was he put himself in position to hear from God. See, he was slowed down enough to turn aside and look. And so maybe today you find yourself in an intersection in life. You're seeking God's will for a big decision. But have you put yourself in position to hear from God? Are you regularly seeking God through prayer, through silence, through worship, through community? Because it is through these things that God often speaks in times of intersection. So are you seeking him? Second, in seasons of redirect, the call for us is to examine, to take inventory of your heart, to ask yourself, are you on a path that you know is not pleasing to God? Are there attitudes or actions or things that you are aware of that are leading you away from God? Are there things that you know God has asked you to do or that God has asked you to stop doing that you're currently not obeying? The call is to examine your life, to examine the path you're on and examine what it would take for you to make a change, to turn back, to make that U-turn and get back on the right track and to have the courage to obey. And then lastly, in life's rest stops, in the times where we are dealing with just great pain and loss that has forced us to come to a halt, the invitation is to dwell. See, I really like that word and I feel like it's not used enough, but think about that promising prospect for a moment. In the midst of the worst things that we face, in the hardest moments of our lives, in the times when we are in our absolute lowest, we can dwell in the goodness of God. And we can dwell on the goodness of God. We can linger in the love that spoke the world into existence. And so every time we feel that heartbreak, every time we feel overwhelmed by the pain of our current circumstance, we can dwell on the goodness of God. We can find a verse that talks about how good God is and just repeat it over and over and let the truth of it wash over us. We can picture in our mind what God's posture towards you is. It's relentless, unending, unstoppable love, and we can just dwell in that truth. And so the challenge for us today is to, in the intersections of life, to seek God. In times of redirect, to examine our heart and see what we need to do to change. And in times of rest stop and great pain, we can dwell on the goodness of God. Let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit to help us do all of those things. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. And thank you so much for the life of Moses that we witness in the scriptures. And I thank you so much for the lessons that we can learn from his life. And I pray that if any of us here today find ourselves in a season of intersection where we're seeking your will for a big decision in our life, I pray right now that you would communicate in that moment what it is that you would have them to do, Lord. I pray that, that in that time that they would seek your face, that they would slow down enough to hear your voice. And if any of us find ourselves in a time of redirect, that we've gone down the wrong path and we need to turn back and return to your good plan for our life, Lord God, I pray that you would lovingly communicate that 
to our hearts and reveal to us the steps to take to redirect and examine our hearts and get back on the right path. And if any of us find us in the hard season of life, of a rest stop where we're facing heartbreak and pain and disappointment, I pray that this week and, and, and in the coming days that we would truly dwell on how good you are, that you would give each of us a revelation of your goodness because there is so much of it that we literally cannot contain it and we can never reach the end of it. So we thank you so much that that's true of you. We thank you so much that you love us enough to invite us into a relationship with you where we can hear from you what your will and what your plan for our life is. Thank you, God, so much for meeting us here today, and I pray that you would go with us as we go about the rest of our days. In your name we pray. Amen.